Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Let's get dive right into what God is wanting to say and do with us this evening. Uh, we're in the second week of a series called This Is What We Do, and it seems like apt after, after even announcements like that, that these are the sort of series we are grappling with. And this is a family series. This is a moment where we are, we are putting something on the agenda that we believe God has called us to do as a family. This is what we do. Every family, no matter where you're from, every family has a certain rhythm, has habits, has, has defaults that they just do. Not because it's uh, in there, they've written it down and methodically worked it through, but actually just, just a response to being a part of a family. This is what we do. My family growing up in Zimbabwe was no different. I grew up in a home that once a year, we would go out for our family meal to a restaurant, to the Meekles Hotel. Once a year, we used to don our Sunday best, and the kids all jumped in the car, and the five of us went out to our meal at Meekles Hotel in Harare. This is exciting. Anyone know Meekles Hotel? There we go. I see that hand. I see that hand. But there was this unwritten rule. I didn't know whether it was uh, passed down at a previous meeting. I had the family that I was not involved or invited to because I was the youngest. It just was a, a rule that had ha- been handed down the family that when we ate at this expensive hotel with a once-a-year treat, that when the waiter came and said, would you like something to drink, you were only allowed to order one round of drinks. I'll have a Coke, thank you. I'll have the Fanta. I'll have the Fanta grape. Mom and dad would probably indulge in a little something a little bit more from a vineyard uh, variety. The once a year treat and uh, let down their hair. And the, the unwritten rule was when the second time came, the waiter would come when you had finished the, the Coke and you had actually sucked on the ice blocks, making sure you got all the Coke goodness out of it. You say, well, any other thing to drink? It was just an unwritten rule that you ordered water. The bill was adding up quickly in my dad's head. And without even having to say anything, without having to look him in the eye, you'll say, oh, he'd say, any more drinks would say, no thanks, just water. Because this is what we do as a Phillips family. We count the pennies. We make sure the money lasts. And every time we'd have a friend who was from a bit of a more wealthier home who would join us on the rare occasion, and he'll order a second or third Coke. Highball. We're like, la-dee-da. Huh. Fancy, fancy, eh? Three Cokes an evening. Wow. On another nature, uh, our family, every single morning of the week, my dad would wake us up at 6 o'clock without fail, and the family would trudge into the lounge uh, begrudgingly most of the time. We'll sit down, and my dad would leave, lead us in a family devotion, and then we'd pray together from 6 till 6.30 every morning. Rain or shine, that was our rhythm as a family. This is what we do. At 7 a.m. in the morning, uh, when I got to school a little bit later, my friends would come in and tell me they set their snooze at 7 and only got out of bed at 10 past 7. And I, and I would, as a young, conflicted boy, I would, I would, I'd be cursing the 6 o'clock wake-up call. I don't, know, I don't get it, Dad. All my friends get to sleep in. Well, actually, you don't have to get it. This is what we do. In the evenings, our family rhythm was something similar. We would, no matter what the evening was, our family would wait till everyone was home to eat around the dinner table. So the dinner table was set, would gather, would eat, no matter what was on TV. I was like, Dad, is he didn't go the need? This was the 90s. Barker Haynes, Dad, it's a cliffhanger. Everyone tomorrow will be talking about it. Please, can I take my plate through and watch in the lounge? No, boy, this is what we do. We eat fam- dinner as a family. Didn't get it at the time, but I'm so grateful. Maybe not the, the fact that I only was allowed one Coke at a restaurant. Saved me a hell of a lot of money, though. But 
I'm so grateful for these other rhythms that we just did as a family. I didn't understand it at the time, but I'm so grateful now because as a married man, it's so much more easier for me to, every morning, my wife and I, Fiona, we wake up and the first thing we do together is we read the Bible and we pray. This is what we do. And it wasn't a foreign habit that I was trying to, to work out as we stumble along, but I'm so grateful that as my family, we had this rhythm and now it's becoming a blessing to my family going forward. This is what we do. And this is in the same vein, this is what this whole series is about, is that there's, as a family of God, and actually specifically as Life Changes Church, we believe that we are called to be a people of radical generosity. We believe that as a life changed church, a people of God, we are called to radical generosity. This is who we are. This is what we do. And I want to put this inside of us this evening. Maybe uh, you're saying right here, as I said that, you're sitting next to somebody you know and going, yeah, maybe that's what you do and I do, but this guy next to me, I know when we go out for dinner, he always conveniently forgets his wallet. Anyone know somebody like that? Mark, don't mention any names, please. I never do that. Never. I want to tell you, it's not about the cheapskate next to you. It's not about somebody at home. You're saying, oh, I wish they would hear this. I want, to, I want them to become more generous. My spouse must hear it. No, this message, this series is for you and it's for me. We've got to own this, that we are a people of radical generosity and we have to own this in our heart. And I believe scripture and the series is going to transition our hearts to embrace this posture that this is what we do. This is what we are called to. Mark, fantastically, last week did an illustration, I believe set up the series so well, where there was a rope, an imaginary tug of war. Can you imagine tug of war happening in front of us? And, uh, and, he, and the whole understanding of this illustration is that this tug of war game is the nature of our hearts. On the one end of the heart, there's a desire to be generous. I think if I polled everyone here, who desires to be generous? Everyone has put their hands up except the lazy people. Say, so I desire it, but I'm not unfolding my arms. <laughs> I see you. I see all three of you. I see it all. I see nothing. I see it all. But the whole understanding, there's a desire in our hearts to be generous. Who doesn't want to be generous? I want to be a generous guy. But on the other side of this rope, this tug of war, are these smaller, lesser things, seemingly lesser things that sneak into this, uh, this wrestle. And they start to tug on this desire and, and, and pull us away from this desire. And these are things called fear, self-justifications. And maybe let's just call it what it is, self selfishness. Plain selfishness. I need a bigger TV, but I want to be generous. And, and, and we have this wrestle, but actually we are called, we believe that this series, we're wanting to come and bring the Word of God and bring this truth that this is what we do. We're called to be a generous people and put some practical measures in place so we can start taking steps into it because we believe that, that this tension of this tug of war is time to be broken. So we're going to be a move, move from a people of just desire to a people of who are actually enacting on this, who's taking steps of faith and becoming this. Proverbs 11 verse 24. If you want to write these down, I think if you've got a note taker, a phone, that's a phone. That's my mind for a phone. Or if you've got, I'd love you to take these scriptures tonight because we really want to do work together. Proverbs 11 24 says this, the world of the generous gets bigger and bigger. Come on. That sounds good. Here it says, it goes on though, it says, while the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Ooh. I want to tell you that the aim of this short series is that we want to break this wrestle, this wrestle between our desires and actually the fears that actually I've got, I've got a kid that I've got to feed. 
sometimes legitimate fears. I want to be generous, but actually there's more month than, than, month than salary every, every month. There's, there's just so much more to that I've got wanting to do. There's more desires. We're saving up for something for me. Now, none of these things are bad on their own, but actually, unless they're brought under the Word of God, they lead to smallness. We believe this series, we want to break this wrestle, destroy anxiety, destroy fear and lack in this area of finances. We're wanting to take head on this thing where people are living in fear and anxiety around money. Always having to check your bank balance. Always to check how am I doing in this thing. And we want to destroy it. And we believe according to scripture that the weapon is generosity. If you're wanting this thing to be broken, there's only one weapon that's called generosity. It's a gift that, the, that we are given in the kingdom of God. And we believe that God has to work on our hearts for us to open our hands. Because I know that we are all too often stuck in a survivor cycle. Let me, let me explain it by a diagram. It's going to be on the screen behind me. That actually, I believe this is what we think we, we see when we see on, on our left at the moment as we look at the screen. This is how it works. Most of our lives work like this as survivors. We consume what we get. We just, we just use it. We use it for our, our, our ability, for our benefit. We, we consume. And then as we've done that, we've consumed, we realize we now lack and we don't have enough. So be, the default of that is that we start to fear and anxiety grips us. How are we going to make it to the end? How are we going to do this thing? And because of this action, we end up just living from month to month and living the cycle of just consuming lack and fearing. And just our world's getting smaller and smaller. But actually, Jesus is saying that he wants to break that cycle and replace it with the sonship cycle. We are, we are called to be sons and daughters. That is who we are. On the left is the natural response. But here's the good news for you and I, sir, ma'am. We are supernatural people. We respond to a different economy, to a different uh, cycle, and this is called the sonship cycle. The daughter, being a daughter of Jesus Christ, is that we give. When we give, what happens next? God multiplies. Principle of Scripture, when we see the multiplication of what God does with our little, and we give and we realize, wow, God is doing much in my life, our faith grows, and because of that, we say, I want to do it again. And we become more and more generous, and the world of the generous gets bigger and bigger. Brilliant, eh? Who wants that? I'm, I'm wanting that. I'm in for this. Thank you for those hands going up. This is exciting. Let's going to read some scripture. Let's get to the word of God. So why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read scripture. Some of you are reluctant. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read scripture together. The reason why I get you to stand, and I think it's important tonight when we talk around this topic, is we believe that this is the highest authority for us as, as sons and daughters of Jesus. The Word of God, not a preacher's opinion, not a mantra for a church, not a, not a doctrinal statement, but actually the Word of God itself is the pinnacle. We want to say, Jesus, we want everything your Word says because your Word brings life. So let's read. This is the, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 16, 6 to 15 from the NLT. It says this, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. 
So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God, for your generosity to them and all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this evening for your word, which just as we read it publicly, that alone starts to do work in my heart. I thank you that your word is truth. Now sanctify us by that truth. Would we hear it and would you start to shift our hearts to trust you more? In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Why don't you take a seat? It's a privilege to be able to preach this evening. From this text this evening, I want to just push us along in the series, three practical how-tos for us from this text, if we are going to break this cycle of survivor, survivor cycle to move to a sonship cycle, if we're going to break this, this tug-of-war battle and truly become generous people, the generous people that Jesus has called you and I to be, that's who we are, this is what we do, for us to move into that, there are three practical how-tos I want to give you this evening. Are you ready for them? Are you ready for this? Here we go. Number one, it'll appear on the screen, is that we give consistently. Can you say that with me? One, two, three, say, we give consistently. Now, I want to start off here unpacking this by, first of all, pointing us to our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father, aren't you glad? I am so grateful that my Father's in Heaven's generosity towards me is not based on His moods or based on whether it's been a good year or not in Heaven. They're always good years. I'm so grateful that the Father's generosity to me is not based on what's happening here on earth, what's happening with my response, my obedience, how good, well I am doing, how, how my attendance record at church has been. No, the generosity of the Father is always consistent from the page one of the book all the way to the end. We see the Father's hand has been outstretched and He has not retracted it since. The Father is generous and He's consistently generous day in, day out. And that's where we need to start because I want to help us understand this fact that if we are called not to be led by our income, our emotions, how we feel, do I feel like being generous this month? Do I feel like being generous in this situation? Uh, too often I know in my own heart I am led to be generous when I feel like it, when the conditions are just right for me. I want to tell you to develop a habit of gener consistent generosity will be of huge value for you in every facet of your life, not just only in financially. Let me tell you about marriages. Marriages thrive when generosity is consistent, not just financially, but emotionally, in, in engaging and serving one another. When, uh, when I've had the privilege to do a wedding, every time I will say this thing, that a marriage is not primarily a friendship where, where it's based on common hobbies and, ha and, ha and things you get do together. No, it's also not primarily a, a partnership where you'll do 50 and I'll do 50. And it will somehow make it to the end. It's also not primarily a, a contract, which is a list of things to do and things that I'll do if you do that and things I won't do if you do that and vice versa. No, marriage is a covenant. Now, it's a big fancy word that I don't have time to fully ex explain this evening. But ba the basic of covenant is this, that from this day forth, when I said I do to Fiona, marriage to thrive meant that I give 100% even if she gives 0%. And that for Fiona in that marriage, as we entered into covenants, she said, from this day forward, I give 100% even when Gabe gives 0%. And this thing is challenged. 
because it's, it's, it's a supernatural thing that we get in covenant with Jesus. That's why marriages thrive when Jesus is at the center because he feels this thing. But I want to tell you, if we are living marriages that are determined by, did you, you did the dishes last week. No, I haven't done them. Hey, did you, pay, did you lock the door? And we start going tit for tat. Marriages won't thrive. It'll be just another way of tension, trying to keep the tension, keep the peace in the home. But when we start to be generous, consistently, marriages thrive. It happens in every relationship, but we want to push into what it means financially for us as we want to be a generous people financially because that's where it hurts the most, I believe. And in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul is helping us on how to give consistently. He says, this is basically, Paul's getting up and he's saying, he says, this is what we do. And he's not giving a mandate to the Corinthian church from the Jerusalem headquarters. No, he's saying, this is what we do as Christ followers. This is just status quo, day in, day out, generosity 101 as Christ followers. And this is what he says. He says this, practical how-tos, being really practical. He says, determine every month what is seed to be sown and what is bread to be eaten. Let me explain. Paul is using an analogy from, from, uh, from agriculture. We are, he's saying, your paycheck that you get at the end of the month, this is help for our context, yeah. Your paycheck that you get every month, that is actually divided into two things. Your budget may say otherwise, but I want to tell you, over above the budget, your, your big budget, your, your, the kingdom grid over your salary that you get, my salary, is that some of it is bread to be consumed, but some of it is seed to be sown. The problem is the vast majority of people don't get this, and they are consuming it all. They're not living with any margin. They're not living with any view of what is to come. They're not living with any view of trusting God for the future, and they're wondering why there's anxiety and they're wondering why there's fear and they're wondering why there's lack. Because we don't understand that our salaries, our income, is always divided as bread and seed. Paul's very practical. And I want to tell us this. There's some questions that I answered as I read this text. I just asked questions. I'm a, I'm a simple guy, so I just asked questions of Paul in the Bible and he answers me from the Bible. So I said, when, when do I do this, brother Paul? Apostle Paul, when? What are you trying to get at here? And as I read, I found out Paul says this. He's like, this is what we do. It's like a dad moment. He says, guys, give first. Give out of what is first. Don't give out of your surplus. He says, don't give, for, don't give, he says, don't give what is left over. Do it first. I want to tell you, this is what we do. We are sacrificial people, and we give sacrificially, and we don't give out of our surplus. Let me tell you what I mean by this, is that our needs, our wants, and our greeds, know those things that we, I need this, I want this, our greeds, the things that, you know, that make our life tick, will always outweigh the income you get in. Always. Your needs, your wants, your greeds, no matter how big your salary gets, they'll always outweigh. I know this for a fact because I studied my own life. When I made 80 rand an hour doing guitar lessons twice a week and I had 160 rand a week as a student, I always wished I could have just a little more. And then I got it just a little more. And can I tell you what my, 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 my posture was? If only I had a little more. And I've just, you'll never get enough to keep up with the demand that was your, your heart desires. But this is, that's why the understanding for us is that the Bible tells us this imperative. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't leave it up to the end. I know I've done this for too many years where I said, no, I'll see how I go this month. And whatever I've left, then I'll be generous with. Let's be honest. We all know how that ends. There's just never anything left. 
Because there's always an outweighing of our needs, our wants, our greeds. But here's the understanding. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom. And I'll be honest, I'll confess you, I've been so good at seeking first the kingdom with my emotions, with my marriage, with my planning for the future. But too often, finances don't come under that lens. I feel my wallet gets a free pass from that scripture, if I'm just being honest. But actually, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom. So if you want to know when you do this, you do this first. We are people who sacrifice not out of our surplus. Moving rapidly along for time's sake. I asked the question, how much, Paul? How much should we give? Now the Old Testament, the Old Covenant had this amount under the tithe that said 10%. The first 10% is to be given to God. But here in the scripture, I don't know if you notice, Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, you decide how much to give in your own heart. Now, I'm conflicted. I've started going, Paul, have you gone all, have you all gone greasy grace on us? Have you got like anarchists and actually, you know, it's just whatever, guys. You know, as if a, he's a missionary with a hat in hand saying, anything will do, boss. No, 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 he's not, he's not a beggar. He's not coming at a lower level. He's not lowering the bar. Paul is saying this, there's a higher law than the law of just 10%. Under the, in the kingdom of God, through the covenant of grace, God calls us not to a lower standard, but to a higher standard. Here's the question for you now, what I'm trying to get at here, is that if we are getting caught up into, in the number and the percentage, then we're looking and asking the wrong question. Because if we're saying, how much do I need to give God, then you're looking to the seed that you're supposed to sow, not looking into the provider who you're sowing it to. Sorry, that was really good, sorry. If we get caught up, if we get caught up at looking at the seed, how much, and that's the big question for us, then we're losing focus of actually we're giving to God, the provider, He's the one who gives back to us. He has the understanding. Because for me and you, if you want to know how much of your salary belongs to God, all of it, it's all His. None of it belongs to you. You're called to steward all of it to the glory of God. Too many people have done religiously for years, 10% God, 90% for me. No, it's all for Him. It's all to be stewarded towards Him. But the conversation for us is what is seed and what is bread? And Paul gives us this, this liberty in this conversation to actually says, you decide the amount. But he has the question, and I said this at the beginning, the actual thing we need to put in this is sacrifice. Because David said in the book of Samuel, he said, I did not give to God, I did not sacrifice to God that which cost me nothing. Helping us. I'm going to get to some implications now. Finally, the question I asked to Paul under this statement is not just when, not just how much, but where to. Where do I give this? Where do I give first to? Consistently, to get this consistent habit. And Paul answers, he says, give to the local church. And I love this understanding because can I be honest? I want to be known as a generous guy. I want you all to go, Gabe is so generous. I want an applause. I want to give money to somebody or give a gift and people go, you are so generous. And them to write a nice letter and thank me and put a Facebook status up saying, Gabe is so generous. I go, no, no, stop it, but tell me more. I live for the applause, as Lady Gaga says. That's who I am. I'm being honest. But that's why God is so kind because he says, actually, I don't want you to, I want you to reap rewards in heaven. I don't want you to live here for temporary things. So he puts in this, in, in, in the diet, the, the diet of a Christian, a Christ follower, something called regular, consistent giving. And he says, I want to take you out the center where it's not about you, not about your ability to try and manufacture. Where will I get the most applause? Where, where's, where, where, where do I think the need is? No, it's a safe mechanism where we give to the local church and we trust that through the local church, God is going to use that money for his kingdom. And I'm not going to manipulate it. 
It's such a freeing ability to be able to do that. Do you know why? Because this heart is an idol factory. And I'm willing to bet yours is too. That no matter when I do something good, very quickly behind it, an idol of pride pops up. But God says, no, I won't have that. And he puts this consistent mechanism where we can grow in generosity and where we can stay free. Because the ultimate agenda in giving is for him to get the glory and us to get the freedom. This is what God is wanting to. Here's the implication for you and I this evening. I want to ask you, decide what you're going to give monthly. I would love you to to think that as you leave tonight. So I want to get consistent in my giving, not depend on my feelings, not when I feel the bank balance is good, but actually I'm going to get consistent in my giving. Decide what you are wanting to give monthly. Self-disclosure here, I'll give you what my family, what Fee and I do. Since we got married, we've decided that for us, we give 10% of our salary as a, as a tithe, as a, as a gift to, to the local church every month. We do it first and we do it regularly. And, and I tell you, it's tough sometimes. But we've decided the number 10% for us is because I'm bad at maths. I'll be honest. I'm easier for me to work out. 11% would be a trickier one, some. But I want to tell you, for me, I've set up an EFT. So that goes. So every month, uh, the, the, when I get my salary, but it doesn't go off automatically because I want to still be able to press send in faith. I do that. It's not just a default good done. By faith, I press send every month. And I say, thank you, God, for this opportunity to give. But I want to tell you, for you and I, this, for Fee and I, this is not just like, now we've done the generosity thing. Let's move on and use our 90. That's our baseline. That we say, God, we trust you with that. And I want to th- I thank God for this consistent habit because I want to make this statement that consistent generosity is the breeding ground for spontaneous generosity. The most spontaneous, gener- spontaneously generous people I know are people who've developed the habit of consistent generosity. People say, no, I want to rather give spontaneously when I see the need. Can I tell you, you hardly ever do it because the muscle of generosity has not grown in you. And it's actually because you want to be at the center of the giving. Now, I love this fact because my wife, when I was away recently, the month grew a bit tighter. And, uh, and there was the end of the month where there was just a, a lowest sum of money in the bank. And she was working out the days left till I came home. And okay, and what happened was she said, I have to, I have to buy some food for our baby, Olivia. But then she, she was working it out. She's, a, she's got it all worked out, the budget in her head. And she said, we're going to make it fine. But then suddenly there came a moment where she heard a lady in our community had just had a baby and, was, and uh, was really having a tough time. And my wife wrestled. She said, actually, this is what we do. We don't count the cost in these moments. Because of consistent generosity, they developed a habit of, actually, I trust God. I don't trust myself. I trust God. I don't trust my salary. This consistent habit led to her being able to be spontaneously generous. When it hurt her, she went and she spent that money, bought some food for Olivia, and built uh, bought a meal for this lady, took it to this lady, and a relationship is formed, and she's being able to minister in there. Why? And it was easy for her because there was consistent habit in the background. I want to just put that out there, that I believe consistent generosity leads to greater spontaneous generosity. I want to speed this up and land this evening, 12 minutes to go. Secondly, this text, we don't just only give consistently, we give cheerfully. Cheerfully, we don't give begrudgingly or reluctantly, not bound by law or pressurized, as Paul says. Don't be pressurized. We give cheerfully. And why do we do this? Because we're not giving to just an organization or giving to something here on earth. We're giving to something that's out of this earth, that's, that, is a, that is ordained by God. We're giving to God himself. The scriptures tell us that giving, generosity, is worship. I hope you notice that most often we take offering up during our singing times of worship. Why? 
because we're trying to remind ourselves that actually worship is, does not just consist of 20 minutes of singing and then sitting down. Worship is our lives, and actually our wallets are included in that story. So we, I want to tell you that generosity is worship to God, and the reason why we give is not to be blessed. If you want to if you're in doubt of that, go listen to our Galatians series where we labored this point to the, the nth. Jesus is the blessing of the Father, but we get to give because we have already been blessed. We have already been blessed. So we are people who have been blessed, uh, blessed so we get to cheerfully give and move on from that. I love it. If you're going to read a scripture, Deuteronomy 26, a great passage of scripture where they, they, they come, they get their first fruits, or they, or they give their offering. But the, the narrative of it is they have the, the Israelite nation have been set free from Exodus. And in this narrative, they're told how to give. They said, take your offering, and as you go, retell the story of the Exodus to one another as praise to God. So the story goes that they say, we were once in Egypt, but we've been set free. We were under bondage where we couldn't earn a living. We couldn't, but we've been set free. So now we've able to plant and harvest. And now we get to thank God because we are free. Not because we're trying to get free, but because we are free, because we've been given everything, we get to celebrate as worship saying, thank you, God. And it's an incredible passage. I'd love you to go read it at home because I want to tell you, the scripture says in Matthew, it says, where your treasure is, that is where your heart is too. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart is too. I can tell you, if you go look at my budget or my bank statement in the month, you'll be able to pick out where my heart is. And to my shame, I say I love people, but if I look at how much money I spend on myself versus on others, you'll go, wow, do you really love people? Just confessing. Just going to be honest. Because where I spend my money shows what I love. That's what Scripture says, not my opinion. And this is the fact that I love, that fuels this for me, is that the Father, John 3, 16, it's not just a, uh, a cute verse for a coffee cup. This is the truth of the gospel, the poster verse of the gospel. For God so loved that he gave his only son. And I want to tell you, he gave his best. He gave his only son, Jesus Christ. He gave his treasure, the heaven's treasure, Jesus, the jewel of heaven, the pearl of great price, Jesus Christ. The Father gave Jesus his treasure for where his heart was, you and I. For his treasure revealed where his heart was. For God so loved the world that he gave. And I want to tell you, I'm so grateful that God, God didn't have 13 kids and say, oh, they're in a sinful state. We're going to send someone. Bob, you're the lazy one. Get on out of here. We won't miss you, but remember to write at Christmas. Oh, yeah, Christmas hasn't happened yet. Um, no, 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 he didn't do that. He had one, and he gave the jewel. He gave his best for you and I, and this, for me, fuels my generosity. It's not an arm twist. It's not a manipulation saying, God gave, so you must give. No, it fuels me saying, I've been given everything in Christ Jesus. How can I not be generous and do it cheerfully as worship, as gratitude to a heavenly Father who has joyfully given everything for you and I? We are cheerful. We give cheerfully. Thirdly and finally this evening is not only do we give consistently, we give cheerfully as well, but thirdly, we give courageously. They're all C's, so I remember them. I want to tell you this evening, giving is always as a result of our faith and not our fear. Giving is always as a result of our faith and not our fear because I want to tell you this wrestle on our hearts, 
uh, we speak strongly and we bring the Word of God here because this wrestle is real. We know the struggle. The struggle is real in my own heart, and I know it pastorally in this community. The anxiety, the fear, the lack that grips people in this area, this is a war that we need to come with courage and say, actually, everything inside of us wants to say, I'll serve, I'll give my time, but my money is tight. Actually, I don't know if I'm going to give that to God. You know, there, there's not going to be enough if I, if I start stepping around this area. Or it's going to run out. I want to tell you, we believe that this series, as we bring this under the light of God and say, this is what we do. Anxiety and fear will be broken. We believe that fear will always hold generosity hostage. If you're living in fear, it's going to disqualify around your finance. It's going to disqualify you being a generous person. Again, I want to be honest with you about my own life, if that's all right. Too often I feel I have more faith in my monthly salary to take care of tomorrow than I do in God. Being honest. I, have, I'm not, I don't fear what's going to happen next month because I know the 25th is coming and I'm going to be okay. Now there's a reality to that, but I want to tell you, the generosity starts to show us where our trust lies. When we start giving consistently and cheerfully and over and above and courageously, we start to show that actually my trust does not lie in my boss who gives a salary. I trust a father who gives an inheritance. This is who we are. This is what we do. I want to land with the scripture in the book of Habakkuk. It's a weird one to quote, but Habakkuk was a, sm- a minor prophet in the Old Testament. He spoke to the nation when they were in chaos, when financially they were on the brink of ruin. Babylon was coming to take them out. And there was, Habakkuk writes this letter to a a group of people who had six ways of making a living. This whole nation of Israel had six ways of making a living. Number one, figs. Two, grapes. Three, olives. Four, wheat. Five, sheep. Six, cattle. They had six ways of making a living. And then Habakkuk writes this passage. He says to them, he prophesies in this moment. He says in Habakkuk 3 verse 17, says this, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, And there are no grapes on the vines. Even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren. Even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. I want to tell you before I go on to read verse 18 and 19. Let me tell you, paraphrasing our modern day, this could have been written to me. This could have been written to you in our culture. Saying, even though the petrol prices are going up. Even though the rand is plummeting, even though the fridge doesn't stay full for long, even though you haven't had a raise for years, even though they're starting to make retrenchments at work, this is what he says. He says this, even though all these things are happening, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. I want to tell you this, that we have faith, not in our finance, not in our economy, we have faith in the sovereign God. It's easy to say, but I'll tell you where your treasure is determines whether there's truth in that statement. I want to, I, this is honest. If I'm doing a self-order of my heart, do I trust God in the area of finance and provi- provision? If I do, generosity will flow from me. And this is the understanding for you and I that actually when times are tight and tough, we rise up. This is what we do. We don't shrink back. We don't pull back on our generosity. We don't pull back into our own mechanisms of safety. When times are tough, we say we trust God even more. Because let me tell you in this way, that if you're going to fear poverty or prosperity, as a pastor, let me be honest, I love prosperity. And the Bible promise says that God wants to bless us. But I want to tell you, rather fear prosperity, because Israel never did well with blessing. Whenever they were blessed, they walked away from God. And he had to bring them to their knees to come back to him. 
Prosperity is a cruel master because it is an empty promise that lulls you away from trusting God, the provider. Let me tell you, illustrate it this way. In the Great Depression, 1920s across America, in the Great Depression, as the nation were in fear, saying, how are we going to make it through? Metaphorically, the figs are gone, the, the wheat is gone, the olives are gone, the grapes are gone, the sheep, the cattle are gone, we've got nothing. Can I tell you what the percentage rate of the church in America was? Per person. Per person in the church. They did a survey. The giving in the church went up to 22%. Wow. Because this is what we do. This is not a natural people who shrink back. When the, when the times got tough, the people gave more because they said, actually, our trust is not in the economy. It's in Him. And I want to tell you, that's what the, the world is looking for, people who will continually trust God. Here's the scary fact. What do you think that same percentage is today in America? 3.4%. Good guess, Jason. You were there this morning. 3.4% today. Scary. An indictment, I believe. But can I tell you, if I say an indictment, but I look at my own heart, I'm not too far away from that. Here is my landing this evening for you. I want to tell you, God wants to bless you. He wants to be extravagantly good towards you. He wants to he lead you into the more of, of, of what he has. He wants to bless you and bless you and bless you. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't believe the Bible. Because Genesis 1 starts with, and he blessed Adam. And the pinnacle of the scripture is that he said to Abraham, in Genesis 12, he said, Abraham, I want to bless you, Abraham. And then he gives his, the blessing of the Father, Jesus. He gives that to us freely. This is the nature of the Father. But here's the fact that the blessing of God does not end with you and I. He says, I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing. He has called us to be a generous people consistently, cheerfully, courageously. He said, will you do this? Will you take up the discipline, this call of this is what we do. We are generous people, even though my feelings and everything wants to throw something at this preacher saying, don't touch my money. You can talk about my husband. You can talk about my wife. You can talk about my firstborn, but don't touch my money. Well, actually, unfortunately, the scripture says otherwise. That's all his, and we have to do something with it. I want to tell you this understanding as we finish. For you and I, there are two main rivers in the nation of Israel. There's the Sea of Galilee, and there's the Dead Sea. Now, these two Two seas cannot be, two, cannot be different, more different. The, the Sea of Galilee is teeming with life. Fish and, and flora and fauna on the banks. And just there's agriculture, just green on, on the left and the right, all along the river. The Dead Sea, no life in it. There's no life. The salt content is so high you can float in it. It's just, it's just, a, it's just dead. Hence the name. Makes sense. But here's the thing. Both rivers have the same source. They come from the same source. What's the difference between the two? Only the Sea of Galilee has an outlet. The Dead Sea, Dead sea gathers in its own self, pooled by itself. No life happens. I want to tell you with that story that I believe God wants to bless us to be a blessing. But he says, I want to get to your heart so I can open up your hands. And when he does that, this thing will be broken. Anxiety, fear, and lack will start to be broken as we start to be a people who respond to what we see our Father do, not what economy does. Let's pray. Just um, a quick one as to we preach because sometimes there might be a concern. 
And when I asked the elders if we could do a series around this subject, it's because there's a concern in me that under the voices and the names of economic climates and the realities of our world, we are choosing to believe those voices rather than the Word of God. And our response as believers is to come under the Word of God. Secondly, we preach because God is calling us. He says actually gives teachers, like this young man is, and many others in our midst. It says this in Ephesians 4, to prepare God's people for works of service, carries on, so they will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. There is a mandate on the church to speak the truth and call a next generation and this generation to a fruitfulness that looks more like God than this world so that we are no longer shaken. And when the words of, re of recession come, we aren't battered off our thing. Why? Because Jesus is on his throne and we're doing what he does. That's why we do what we do because of who he is. And we teach on tough subjects like this because why? Because we want to grow up mature believers who can change the world and become signs and wonders to the world. I speak on an issue like sexuality in a specific way to my eight, six, and four-year-olds. Why? Because I want them to grow up to be men who honor women sexually and bring glory to God. And I'm telling you, there'll be a sign and a wonder because of that. That's why we speak about these issues. So I trust your hearts are open. Go to the scriptures, wrestle God, and do as this word calls you to do because you're part of his family, not ours. It's his story, and he is the king. But pray for us, Gabs. Father, I just thank you for your word, which longs to, to see us free. Your word doesn't only just give us the desire for freedom, but it gives us the ability for freedom. And Father, I thank you tonight that you are leading us to obedience on this thing. And I pray, Father God, you're setting up a people who are going to say, we trust you. This whole message could be summed up in one line of God asking us, do you trust me? And if we do, God, may it be reflected in the way we do our, our relationships. May it be reflected in the way we do our serving. May it be the way we do our jobs. God, and I pray ultimately here, would it also be in the way we handle our finances. God, you have given us the ability to make wealth. You have been the God who gives us work. You're the God who is generous. I thank you, Father God, would we be a people. You're, you're changing our hearts and saying, this is what we do. We're generous. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.